Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. So, Paul, welcome to CTF Confessions. It's great to have you on board, sir. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to uh, diving in and uh, chatting about myself and punch list and everything that's going on. Excellent. So, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? And who do you work for? Yeah, I'm uh, Paul Dorney. I'm the CTO at Punchlist USA. So what we do is uh, we take care of all of your home repair, renovations and lifecycle management. And myself, with my background, so I've been CTO at Punchlist here for the last two years. Prior to that, I had founded my own company called Silbo, which was in the uh, sports tech space. So we were trying to be basically the Uber for sports officiating. So, you know, everyone who's probably played sport or has kids in sports has experienced the issue where they've turned up and there hasn't been a ref at the game and we were trying to we were solving that so ran that for four years we exited there and then before that i was working at a sas which is an analytics company over in the us and prior to that was fidelity so kind of an interesting journey going from fintech to the gig economy and now into prop tech so uh, a varied background but uh really interesting and i got kind of fell into the startup space because my friends had some ideas um, and we decided to uh, kind of dive in there. And since then, I've kind of stuck in the startup space and been like really, really excited about uh, all the different opportunities that come up once you're uh, trying to solve some interesting problems. Yes, I bet. I bet it has been an interesting journey. What also interested in is what's that transition been like from being a software developer in your early days to leadership? Was that quite a challenging transition? Yeah, it was actually, because uh, I think it's funny as a software developer, it seems you progress in your career, you kind of have this fork in the roads, right, where you can go down the management road, or you become like you just go deeper into the development and chief developer, etc, like that. And you kind of get to avoid the meetings, I suppose, is the best way I always thought about it. And with me, I kind of fell into it, I suppose, where I was the technical co-founder. And as we kind of continued on, I found I actually really enjoyed that part, you know, building the team. I had led teams before, like on a smaller scale, but like leading the team, coming up with the roadmap, figuring out exactly how you can impact the entire company from the technical standpoint. So that that was kind of a really interesting thing. And then as part of that, you know, and you get you get experience with raising funds and meeting with different interesting people and stuff like that. So it it was uh, the best way I always think of it is, you know, the way like how to boil a frog. <laughs> you know, if you put it into the boiling water, it'll jump out. That's how I kind of think um, myself and my friends at the time when we had started our company kind of got it. I think at the start, none of us thought like, hey, we're going to learn how to do this, this and this. But eventually, as we kind of solved the next problem, a new opportunity, a new challenge came. And then we kind of grew from there. And from there, um, it's funny when we went to go raise funds. The first thing we were always told is that we were always asked, hey, how many startups have you done? And we were always like, hey, this is our first one. And a, a bunch of funds have told us like, hey, we don't invest in first time founders. And I was like, well, it's kind of an oxymoron. Yes. How do people become second time founders? Yes. And it's funny now I look back on it and I'm like, yeah, all of, they were like, hey, go make your mistakes with someone else yes. and then come back to us. So that's the kind of interesting thing is you go from, you know, 
you've got a sprint meet, you've got sprint planning, all that stuff as a developer. Hey, I'm going to take care of my points. I'm going to make sure any junior developers get help to going into this leadership where you're like running a company and you're you're managing the technical roadmap, but also like the the day-to-day cash balances and customer going on demos, stuff like that. And you become you kind of wear, especially in a smaller startup at the start, you wear so many hats. You get to like grow different muscles, I suppose, is the best way to think of it. Like is, you know, I, ne- I was never in sales, but suddenly I'm, you know, standing up pitching right. and selling yes. product because you can kind of come across of like, hey, this is what we want to do and this is where we are. So it's super interesting. And it's definitely something I, I and I have convinced a bunch of my friends to join startups since my I started my journey. I just think it's uh, for a software developer, if you like solving problems, we've all like we've probably all been in larger companies where, you know, release cycles are longer and you do your little bit and hey, cool, you get to see it long term in products. But when you can come in on a Monday and it's like, hey, we have to solve this problem and it has to be in production by Wednesday. It's kind of it's 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 kind of cool. It's yes. just uh, it gets addictive. It's very dynamic. It sounds like an intense. Um, we've had a number of guests who've, uh, who've transitioned from startups to big organizations and back. And it's brilliant to see the kind of contrast between the uh, the different sizes of businesses and the way they operate. Any advice that you'd give for people going into a startup space of how they might make that easier? Yeah, um, for me, honestly, there was so much I had to learn. Uh, I'm, a, I'm also like a, a movie nerd. And the best thing I always can, I step back, right? And like when we when we took on our 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 company, we had a like I didn't I didn't know how to build everything that we needed at the time. It was three dudes in a room, basically. I looked at the I love the Martian. It's kind of like my attitude to all software developments, you know, um, where it's like, hey, yeah, you need to get off the planet. But guess what? You got to solve the problem in front of you. You got to solve this problem. So for me, when you're going into startups, for me, it was like, okay, didn't know anything about pitching VCs, didn't know a whole lot about sales, didn't know a whole lot about this or that. I honestly just read everything I could read. So whether it's blogs, listen to podcasts, uh, audiobooks, reading different books or so different startup books, like, you know, everyone knows like the lean startup, you know, I loved Shoe Dog. I thought I learned a lot from that. Um, there's the extreme ownership uh, from Jocko Willock. I think that helped me a lot, like with the whole discipline equals freedom, especially in startups where everything's chaos. You know, you got to stay, you got to have your true north and stick with that. But for me, it was literally trying to consume as much information from different um, different kind of backgrounds, different industries, how we learn from that. Um, so that's kind of that's how I did it, because a lot of times you can feel like oh, we're the only ones going through this. But then you read like the upstarts is a really cool book and it kind of it shows the parallels i don't know if you've read that it's the um uber and airbnb kind of kind of tracks their rises because uh, it's pretty similar timelines and it's how they both went about different ways you know where like airbnb were bootstrapping a lot of stuff uber had gotten the institutional money but for me it was like seeing hey you're not you're not reinventing the wheel a lot of the times you know everyone had the same type of problems and it's a matter of trying to leverage that you know i think especially when you're starting starting from like zero to one is, in my opinion, the hardest. But when you're there, it's just a matter of trying to like see, hey, what the, the others that came before you, what did they do? What do you need to learn? And to, to bring it back to like software development, it's kind of like, yeah, you know, back in the day, you needed to have a server and you needed to have it hosted yourself and all that stuff. And now you've got like AWS, Azure, etc. That's the way I look at it is, hey, other folks have yeah. done this before. It might be a separate industry, but like what were the steps they went through? So trying to like learn from the folks that came before you is my biggest kind of advice. That's great. And what was it like as you were on this learning curve? Were there moments, this is a confession, I guess, what I'm asking for. Um, 
were there times when you thought i can't do this yeah yeah 100 percent um it was interesting so like when we came up with our idea for syllabus i'll go with that because the way i look at it as my experience these days is and we're in home repair and renovations is I basically went from like building your home from scratch and now I've gone in and done a renovation, if that makes sense. But the building from scratch was definitely, we sat down and we were like, hey, this is what we want to do. We want to create like a centralized platform for all youth sports where people can get verified checks, basically the Uber for sports officiating. And at the time I had been working on a lot of microservices APIs at SaaS and we had brought like um, this analytics project uh, to market within 18 months and it was making like nine figures. It was really cool. It gave me the confidence to decide like, hey, I did this with all the safety nets of a large organization. Can I do it myself with my friends? But with that, it was a case of I was like, all right, I haven't worked on front end stuff for a long time. Haven't done this, haven't done that. And in my head, I was like, when I thought of all of it, it got overwhelming. But basically, and again, that's why I referenced the Martian. I, I read it like once a year because I basically brought it back down. I was like, okay, Stop concentrating on what you can't do right now. What can you do? And basically for me, I was like, all right, I know I can knock out an API and I can set it up, get the back end, mid, mid-tier and back end knocked out pretty fast. Then I can, you know, I can at least start doing that. So that's the first step that I did. I was like, okay, that's completed. All right, now we need to get designs. We need to put the UI on it and stuff like that. Because we knew, you know, we knew exactly what we needed to have kind of like laid out, you know, a, a, a league has a team and has players that has scores, all that sort of stuff. So that's kind of, that's what I do whenever I feel like overwhelmed with anything, even in my current role is I bring it, I try and boil it back down to like solve what's the next problem. And that's, um, and I got that, like with, I was pretty lucky with uh, some of the mentors I had in my career, like at SAS, one of our, one of my managers had only been in startups and then he came into a large organization and he ran his team like a startup. And that was his whole thing. He was like, cool, I'm not going to go up and pitch that, hey, we're going to solve everything in in three months. He's like, no, we're going to do this part. And then when we have that part, we're going to do that part. He really believed in that com- compounding development, you know. And that's that's what I've kind of taken in and what I try and bring to my teams when I'm leading them too. Because i got some super clever, way smarter than me folks on my team. And a lot of the times, you know, they're at like step Z and I'm like, hey, that's brilliant. But we're actually just going to do A at the moment to get there. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's a matter of like there's all different uh, personalities in development, but it's managing to like curtail the folks who like taking that first step first and the folks that are already off the planet. If that makes sense. And bring them together. So for me, that's my thing is when definitely there's definitely times where you're like, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. What am I going to do? But it's a matter of bringing back and trying to concentrate for me is what can you do? What can you control? And then, you know, it's the small wins. You get it, you get one win, you get another win. And then the thing you thought thought was very hard or not probable, that becomes more possible. And then you knock mm-hmm. that out and stuff like that. So that's that's kind of how I approach it. Um, and that's kind of been that's worked for me, uh, especially as I've gone like in higher levels in my career, too, of like, you know, where it can become uh, broader and you've got more to do. It's very important for me to like bring it back down to the core core stuff that I'm trying to solve. Fantastic. Very inspiring. I've taken some great takeaways from that. And also the book that you mentioned, which is something that I will definitely take a good look at. I'm also watching you, actually. <laughs> You're quite a passionate person. What is your passion? What drives you? What's the thing that kind of makes you jump out of bed in the morning and think, woohoo? <laughs> yeah, oh, cheers. Um, for me, honestly, and it sounds so like, you know, boilerplate or whatever, like solving problems, but like I have to care about what I'm working on. That makes sense. And All it right. could be anything. Like if I was working uh, 
like on a table or something like that as, as long as i'm into it i'm into it so that and that's to me why i think i love that i found startups is at large organizations there was a bit of a disconnect to the broader kind of vision and goal and products and like again i, I kind of referenced them um, my my SaaS uh, experience where we brought like a really really popular it's still used today product to market and from a small team however we were very much the development team, you know, and that was it. And we developed it and the salespeople sold it like the way you do at large organizations. Then in startups, it was everything like I I'm like, I think everything is window dressing to customer service, right? Like that's every, 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 in my opinion, every good company in the world are the best companies. They're all, they all have one thing in common. They save you time, right? So like, you know, Uber saves you time. Airbnb saves, saves you time. Google saves you time. ChatGPT <laughs> saves you time. That's the whole thing. They all have a common thing. They're saving time, which is the most mm. like it's the it's the biggest resource in the universe, right? And for me, it's working on something where like you actually have an impact, where you actually get to see the results of your work, if that makes sense. So for me, with a startup is like even as we've grown like over 100 people still to this day, like I'm still constantly like checking in on how our customers doing, what are they liking, what are they not liking, having more of that kind of overall feel. That's what kind of gets me passionate is like having like my hands still involved in what we need to do, what's working, what's not working, what can we change? And just that's the kind of thing that helps me with passion is like having a having a, a problem or a product or something to work on that I know has an impact on people, if that makes sense. Yeah, that sounds great. I love it. And I'm going to ask a question coming back to the company you're working for at the moment. So what is the problem that Punchlist USA are actually solving? You kind of mentioned bits of it. Yeah. What is that? Because that sounds quite purposeful and making life, people's lives easier as well. Yeah. So um, basically with Punchlist, what we're trying to do is make your home ownership and like what we call the life cycle of your home. So of your whole time of managing your home much, much easier. Because if you think of it, for the vast majority of people when they purchase their home that's going to be the largest asset they ever purchase and it can be quite you know it can be quite hard to manage your home and like keep it up to date and all that sort of stuff so like from 10,000 for few our goal is to be that easy button for home maintenance and management repair renovations etc the way it started was with the name punch list in the in ireland anyway we call it a snag list basically how it yes. originated was you know as you're coming to buy a home like you get a list from the builder basically hey there's these 10 small things to knock off that's how the company originated where we were coming in and we were kind of like a short period of time we'll knock these out because it's harder to find like the qualified trades people you know with like you know hey i need to get this done in a week and it's a smaller dollar value versus the big huge reno jobs so that's how we started but how it evolved i joined about two years ago and since then it's really evolved and the goal has been like not just these small items like if you want to do an entire renovation if you want like we've just came out with a, a quarterly maintenance program but basically the whole plan plan is like as as folks basically own homes and time again is very precious is like how what can we do to make it easier for you to manage your home keep it up to date make sure any of your projects you want to get done can be done through punch list but on the flip side of that too is also for the tradespeople, right like when you've got like a master electrician a general contractor masonry what are they what do they love doing they love doing the work right and they, they they're not really as interested in like following up on invoices you know going getting quotes stuff like that so what we're trying to do is we're being that centralized hub that you can manage all of your life cycle of your home 
also we take all of that work off of the tradesperson where they're not getting leads like they do from other kind of companies, you know, in the space. They just get direct jobs. So we we take inspections or repair lists, we quote it, geo-specific pricing, all of that good stuff. We send the jobs out to the contractors and then they can they can accept it or reject it. They do the jobs, then they're on to the next job. So then yeah. they can actually maximize their earnings. So that's kind of the to bring it back to like my whole time thing is we're saving the homeowner time. We're also saving the contractor's time. And the goal of it being like you're getting this like really good experience that you know like reliability all that sort of stuff that comes with us that that's kind of our goal and why that's interesting to me or how i kind of got involved was my previous company too that was our goal like um to go back into sports officiating but like in the us the average sports official is a 56 year old white male it's kind of hard to get into it's very much kind of like the old days when you think of like taxi dispatchers you know you have a rolodex all of that stuff with us what we were trying to do is democratize it where we could actually have have all the vetting on our end but like let's say let's say you're in warwick say the local city comes in they put up all their soccer games we have a qualified network of officials and then they were able to max their time to be able to see where they want to go what games they want to do because in the states what happens is you're sent to games and it could be a friday night you're sent to a game um, and if you say no you mightn't get another game that makes sense so with us what we were trying to do there as well as like using different uh we had like this uh we had dynamic pricing we had this proprietary algorithm for like what we call smart releases so we were able to reduce the amount of like last minute drops by officials and stuff like that just kind of some uh, using some machine learning especially for the geographical areas of how we can maximize everyone's earning potential if that makes sense Wow, fantastic. Great tools. I can see how these save time. I must admit, I could do with that tool probably here in the UK. Yeah, that's it's it's super handy. And the cool thing for me, too, is like my dad's a, a master electrician. But, you know, there's the two you go one of two ways, right? You either know how to do everything or like me, you're useless. So for me in a whole, you know, like I definitely need to have that contact and especially um you know, like it's it can be hard to find someone reliable and trustworthy, whereas yeah. we take that hassle off the play. We we vet everyone, you know, we stand behind the work, all that sort of stuff. And then that's that's our toes in the water, like where the technology part comes into Punchlist is, you know, we take in home inspections via API or if you upload a PDF. We're extracting that information um, via OCR. We ran, run it through our algorithms um, for matching and pricing, depending on your area, the kind of like frequency of the work, the type of materials needed. We geo-specifically price it, and then we give you a free estimate. So that's the cool part for, for us, you know, like is that you give us a home inspection, you get a free estimate. It's our, our last leader, basically. You can take that and negotiate with, you know, anyone locally as well, no problem. Or if you want us to project manage it for, us, for you, you approve the work through us. The goal for us then is obviously like we want to we want you to come back for more business of like, hey, OK, I got I got all this stuff taken care of. Next year, I'm going to build a deck or the year after, you know, I need to get my my roof repaired because where we're going and the stuff we're working on, the really interesting stuff is the predictive repair engines. So that's oh, where, you know, using the acid condition data that you've given us and then using like the uh, condition data from kind of the area like around you, stuff like that, we can predict, hey, when does your when do you need this? Like, and then based on market trends, you know, like uh, last year, lumber went crazy in the US. I'm sure it went uh, elsewhere too, but it yes. went really, really high. With us, you know, what we're getting aiming for is like, hey, we can start predicting, hey, you, you wanted to do project A. This is now a good time based on materials, labor, availability, uh, everything like that. 
Excellent. Yeah. As they say, you know, life's complicated enough and you're making it easier. So hey, yeah. kudos. <laughs> that's exactly it. That's that's the goal. And then on the other side is always as well for our our uh, pros that are out in the field is just making their life easier, you know, where they can finish a job and don't have to worry about like uh, going collecting checks or haggling over something. We QC the work and then they can move on to the next job. So in theory, you know, you can earn X amount more with us. Like, um, so I think when we when we run some analysis, it's kind of like you can do like either like 1.4 or two times the amount of work in a month because you're not doing that back office work, if that makes sense. Yeah, great. And talking about making life easier, I'm really curious around your job as a tech leader and what keeps you up at night? What doesn't make your life easier? <laughs> yeah, um, so my my entire kind of leadership philosophy is that servant leader. So I think my entire goal, whether right or wrong, is to find interesting projects and problems for my team to work on, right? like. You want like you know yourself like developers they like working on the cool new stuff like yeah. no one likes writing the boring unit tests or anything like that like you want to work on cool stuff so i think my job is to find those opportunities for the team uh, and i th i think of it like kind of like a healthy diet right you know every, you gotta have at least 20 percent of your vegetables or whatever like that so <laughs> right my, yeah my job is to take kind of you know i act as almost like the buffer like i'll take the meetings the planning all that stuff let developers do what they do best which is coding up solving problems finding interesting ways and like i re i do believe in like you know hey we we need to do x have a think about it come back with some options rather than dictating like hey this is how we want to do it that's my whole thing because you're only as good as your team right so if you want to go fast go far or go go alone if you want to go far go together that's kind of how i do it so like for our team like we do definitely want to um find interesting problems but i also want to kind of remove the noise that can happen more from corporate world basically is like meetings and you know planning and stuff like that so like i follow, we follow the agile philosophy on our development however right. as i say like we're not zealots right like so i use different aspects that work well for me so like i've i had come from a larger company where like sprint planning meetings could be three or four hours and it was just death you know for us mm -hmm. it's try and keep it as short and sweet as possible and then when we need to let's dive in let's do a quick huddle let's talk it out stuff like that so that's my goal is like to keep that keeps me up is what's making the team excited about coming in tomorrow you know are they solving a fun Absolutely. problem and and again you're not always solving fun problems but a train at least in each sprint try and like yeah. sprinkle some in there yeah, yeah. sprinkle yeah. some magic fun in there yeah. it's interesting you say that because uh, uh being an agilist himself I call myself a pragmatic agilist so yeah. tailor it to what and it sounds like you're very similar you know i've seen people implement agile in a way that it becomes quite robotic and actually causes people to lose the will to live yeah um, they they come out of meetings thinking oh my god so and that's the last thing you want to be doing you want to be lifting them so it's great to hear a fellow leader with a similar passion to make sure that they're looking after their kittens as they say you know and get, get herding them in the right direction no you're exactly right because that's it they're, they're those uh, philosophies and systems are there to help you right rather than like put those blockers in in your way so that's yes. that's my thing is i'm sure sometimes as people come on to our team they're probably like oh my god this like because again a 15 minute meeting can be a five minute meeting a 30 minute meeting like meeting discipline as well too for that like yeah. it's like okay guys here's the problem here's how we solve it let's let's move on we can meet again later but, that's right 
Yeah. In fact, um, I'm just remembering, hopefully some of my ex-team uh, colleagues will be listening to this. We used to uh, fight to get the meetings down to 15 minutes. <laughs> we used to try and, and the idea is we would actually celebrate if we actually managed that, that whatever time we say, we'd go and have a coffee or what have you together. Yeah. Like, I think it's important that we do save that time and make sure people are inspired by the gatherings as opposed to being uh, numbed out by them. Yeah. Um, I've got a question here around growing pains of companies. Now, you've mentioned that you've worked with startups and startups hopefully have growing pains as part of their journey. Any tips or advice that you kind of learned around achieving growth without so much of the pain? Yeah, for us, it's an interesting time for us now as we've, we've gone through a massive hyper growth in the last um, 18 months. So we've gone from like, you know, 20 to over 100 folks and stuff like that. And we're all remote as well, you know, remote first. For me, I think it's important to like, especially I'll start with, like say the development team is is check-ins, you know, making sure the folks feel involved, especially with remote work and things like that. The growing pains are usually, you know, you're used to, from my experiences, we're used to moving super fast, like, you know, small team, hey, we're pushing all this, we're doing this. For us, um, it was an interesting one. We went through a SOC 2 certification. So, you know, we went from uh, like while everything was following processes and stuff like that, you have to be a lot more buttoned up with that, you know, with your release cycles and everything like that. That was probably a growing pain for the the team at the time because we were used to like very quick de- deployments, very quick, uh, quick bug fixes, anything going out. And then we had to like step back and be like, hey, we got to fill in this like documentation that's important because it's going to help us long term. So for us, it's basically, I think, to help with your growing pains is getting systems in place. You know, mm-hmm. like when a, when a startup starts, everyone's wearing 50 different hats. They're all pulling in the right way. But if you can get your foundation and your systems in place, you'll only you'll grow as far as your systems take you. So for me, that's how I think we've managed to kind of right the ship because we definitely made mistakes. My first company and, and this current one where, you know, we're moving so fast and then it's like, hey, actually, you know what? Sometimes it's take a step back analyze what how you're currently doing things let's get these items fixed and then you can actually move faster and longer term you know as folks on board and your team grows actually they they have a good foundation because that's that's the part that um i definitely think for my first startup that i learned from was you know you take for granted like hey you know where everything is and you take for granted like you know how everything works but as you onboard more folks and they're like why do we do that and you're like ah yes so while uh I definitely love, love documentation. I do understand the need for it and the importance mm-hmm. of it. So that's what that's what we try and do too, is like get our systems, documentation, everything, and then making everyone feel included and stuff like that. I think um, if I have one skill, it's that, it's that like, and I learned this from someone that we'd worked with in the startup space in Rally was, you know, the best ideas come from anywhere. The best ideas co- can come from the person you meet in the shop, you know, if that makes sense. So for me, for the growing pains, I like to stay connected to everyone across the different levels and across different teams to try and ask them, like, what's actually going on, if that makes sense, because everyone's very polite in the world, right? Like, and if, mm. if you're like CTO or you're kind of a leader in the technical space, someone who's not in technology can be kind of a little put off and like, oh, I don't want to sound stupid or they probably know this already. And I'm like, no, we don't. Like, I don't know mm. anything <laughs> like you. You're you're speaking to a customer today. I need to know that even if it's good, bad, whatever. So that's how I think to to avoid growing pains too, is to keep that connectivity together. You know, if you're all one team, like, and nobody, nobody knows more than the other person. It's like, make sure you're sharing information. 
Absolutely. Lots of things resonate with me on what you just described, especially around having systems in place. In fact, one of the things I've noticed around leaders, you know, a lot of good leaders is that they have systems that help support them and and the work that they've got around them. And I love the uh, comment around speaking to people because everybody's got a story to tell. Everybody's got a perspective and it's just magic. It's like gold. Yeah. So, Paul, as we come towards the closing arc of our time together, unfortunately, I've got some nice warm questions for you. So, Paul, are there any books that have been instrumental on your journey in your tech leadership that you'd like to share with our tech leader audience? Yeah, I think I think I mentioned some earlier. So just to reiterate, um, Extreme Ownership, really, really good one if you're looking to kind of like be able to decompartmentalize, focus, stuff like that. Uh, Atomic Habits, I think that's just good for anyone. And that's a really, really good book uh, to help with just knowing what to do. Super Pumped is a cool one to kind of hear the story of Uber and then Upstarts I mentioned. I love hearing about companies and uh, how they're going about. And in those books, they kind of touch on some of like the folks that didn't make it. So really, really good ones to to check out there as well. And then just some other random ones is uh, Shoe Dog. Really, really cool one because, you know, everyone knows Nike, but then seeing what Phil Knight went through and everything like that, I, I found that really good. Uh, those are the kind of ones that I'd recommend. And then you have your zero to ones and stuff like that that you check out. Excellent. Good. There's a few I haven't read there and I'm an avid reader, so I will add them to my list. So thank you for that. Now, I'm going to pretend to be a tech genie for a second, Paul. Okay. I'm going to offer you a tech wish for your leadership, for your industry, for anything in your kind of uh, space. What would you wish for? Great question. Uh, for everyone in technology, I think um, the big wish is around AI at the moment. So AI, I think, is uh, scaring a lot of folks, basically. I think like everyone else, I'm just, my tech wish is that we leverage AI in a good, positive way that actually empowers everyone going forward versus, you know, I think right now there's a lot of um, fear around it, like removing jobs and all that sort of stuff. I think like any new technology, you know, it actually gives more opportunity. If you think of like, say, when the iPhone came out, hey, how many people started making apps and stuff like that? Or when uh, we got the personal computer, how many industries that opened up and everything like that. So my big tech wish is that AI is leveraged for the positives that can actually increase um, and be more job creation versus, you know, job reduction that I think a lot of fear is happening right now. Fantastic. Great wish. I'm going to work on that for you. I think getting rid of fear in the space is always a good thing. And as we hit our full stop of the podcast, What's your key takeaway that you'd like to gift our tech leader audience as we part company? Um, I think my big thing is everyone has imposter syndrome. So whether you're at a three person startup or 500, one thing I've learned, like I've been very lucky to be around like really high level leaders, like ex-CEOs of uh, like Red Hat, et cetera, like that is no one actually has it figured out. Everyone's trying to do their best, you know, take positive intent. And again, just solve the problem that's in front of you. Like, don't worry about what other folks are doing, especially I think that happens a lot in the um, startup space where, you know, if you're a four person team and you're looking at the people that are in your community and you're like, oh, they just raised funding or they did this. Oh, we're not succeeding and stuff like that. Concentrate on your own journey, you know, solve the problem in front of you. And don't worry if you uh, if you don't know if you don't know what to do, just like in my opinion. And I got this advice when I moved to the States. Maybe it's the Irish thing in me is like, don't be afraid to look silly, not look silly, but like ask the question. Like if you don't ask the question, you don't you don't know the answer, you know, and you're you're just left actually being silly. So that's my thing is just, you know, don't worry if you don't know, try and find out, try and solve the problem and, you know, ask basically, and then pay it forward when you, when you do figure it out. 
Fantastic. Great wisdom to finish on. Thank you for your time, Paul. It's been great having you on CTO Confessions. Oh, cheers. Thanks very much. And finally, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Lab services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long. Live well and prosper until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.